Welcome to God is Open. On this minisode, we're going to be covering, oh, thought crimes, thought crimes in the Bible. Is that a thing? And to do that, we're going to be looking at various internet atheist uh, videos. We're going to little clips of them and their, their criticisms of the Ten Commandments. You know, all these internet atheists, they're a diamond dozen, and usually they come in guns blazing. They're all full of themselves. They want to be disingenuous and not generous towards the other positions. And we're going to see that today in this. So we're going to start with this uh, internet kid. You know, this atheist kid that all these people rally around. Oh, little uh, 18-year-old. Oh, you're so wise. Uh, in your parroting of talking points from, uh, you know, Christopher Hitchens. Also another guy is pretty full of himself. So let's hear what this little kid has to say. He's responding to a PragerU video on the Ten Commandments. Take it away, internet atheist kid. Imagine further a world in which no one coveted what belonged to their neighbor. Ah yes, this is a good one. The only of the Ten Commandments that doesn't just tell you what you can't do, it tells you what you can't want. You know? Look how smug he is. So he's, he's preaching to the choir. He's not preaching to convert. He's preaching to individuals so that they could puff themselves up in their, their superiority. You know, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what Christians believe. Not allowed to think in this way. God knows what you're thinking and can punish you for it. This is, as Hitchens said, totalitarianism defined. But also, without the coveting of what other people have, there would be no incentive to go out and get it. If you didn't want money, then what's the point in starting a business? If you didn't want a family, then what's the point in socializing? If you don't want the success that you see in others, if you don't covet to be at their level, then you will never have any reason to try to get there. Uh, this, also to divert for just a moment, seems to completely undermine the idea of capitalism, which relies on the desire to obtain more wealth, more goods, uh, more success. Uh, and if there's one channel on YouTube which defends capitalism to no end, it's Prager University. So the second part right there, his first point was about coveting. You know, he says there's a thought crime in the Ten Commandments and it's uh, coveting. And Prager U, uh, they echo this uh, in, in this kid's defense. But his second part of this was all, all disingenuous. It's, uh, he, he's never interacted with anyone who, who takes this PragerU view. He's never asked them to clarify for him to say that there's a difference between coveting what your neighbor has. Oh, I want his wife and wanting to go out and get your own wife or uh, seeing their money and wealth and wanting to emulate them in order to get your own money and wealth. You know, there's a difference between that and covening, and that's the standard Christian answer. But he doesn't—he doesn't, he doesn't understand. He, he's not even familiar with that answer. So j even assuming that uh, his assumptions about what it means to covet is correct, he's being disingenuous on this other point. So what this little kid does is he's just parroting Christopher Hitchens, and he—and he—he uh, he quotes Christopher Hitchens in like a D'Souza debate that this is uh, intellectual totalitarianism. And in their defense, a lot of Christians agree with their reading of uh, what it means to covet. But, but we'll find out later on, is this actually a thing? Is this a thing in the Bible? Is this, is this a valid point that he's making? All right, Christopher Hitchens, take it away. The last of at least this version of the Ten Commandments is also sometimes famous by its number, number 10. It forbids the coveting of your neighbors or thy neighbors' goods these to include his ox, his ass, his wife. I think there may be three thinkable objections here. First and most obvious, it considers the female of the human species to be equivalent to the chattel. Second. Yeah, fantastic argument. Yep, yep, that's, they're exactly the same. 
by way of objection. Um, it's the only commandment that punishes thought. Here you're not forbidden to do... There's, there's the thought crime again. This is what that kid uh, reiterates and uh, doubles down on. ...do anything. You're forbidden to think even about something. And third, the attempt to suppress an instinct, a desire, that must have been put by God into us in the first place. Otherwise, how would we know? Fantastic, Christopher Hitchens, and the internet atheist kid who just, uh, you know, parrots Christopher Hitchens. Uh, he's, he's full of himself. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't actually care about the Bible and biblical scholarship. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to turn to a different secular individual. This is going to be Joel Hoffman. And this is going to be in his TED lecture about interpreting ancient languages. And he actually he actually addresses this this point about covetness and and what it, he puts it in his book as well. And uh, he talks about what does this actually mean in the in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not covet. So, Joe Hoffman, help us out here. We only have time for one more example, and we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, uh, which you've probably heard of. <clears throat> you may have heard of uh, something that's translated, um, thou shalt not covet. Does that ring a bell? Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not desire something. Uh, the Hebrew word there is chamad. And before we look at what it actually means, I'm going to talk about why I think the Ten Commandments are actually so important. So what about don't covet? Once again, we look at the Hebrew word chamad, which is in the Ten Commandments, that's the one for covet, and we look at how it is used in context, and we have one context in particular that's really helpful. We have a passage where it says that when the Israelites go up to Jerusalem three times a year for what is known as pilgrimage holidays, the passage says the Israelites shouldn't worry that the other people will chamad their houses. Well, it is absurd to think that the Israelites, when they left their houses, were afraid that other people would say, hey, that's a cool house. <laughs> Quite obviously, they were afraid that people would take their houses. That is the only reasonable thing that they might have been afraid of in their absence. And so we find that the Ten Commandments are translated wrong. The good news is, I should say, it is the commandments are translated right. There is good news. But uh, the don't kill and don't murder one, and also the one that says don't covet, has been translated wrong. It does not mean don't covet. It means don't take. And that's a really important distinction if we're going to try and consider what's moral and what's immoral. There's a huge difference between saying how you feel is immoral versus saying what you do is immoral. And what we find in the Ten Commandments is that what you do is immoral. And more importantly, we find that there is a list of things that are immoral. And we can only get to the true nature of this list when we look at how translation works and we recover the, the original meaning of the ancient texts. Now, if you turn to uh, my Reality is Not Optional site, and uh, just to put in the search bar, Thou Shall Not Covet, I link to another video by Joel Hoffman where he, he goes in depth on about this uh, Thou Shalt Not Covet. It's a three-minute video, pretty good video. But if you scroll down, you have an instance in Mark 10, 19, in which Jesus is uh, reciting some of the Ten Commandments. He says this, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So do not defraud. Uh, wh where's that in the Ten Commandments? It's the coveting. It's the coveting. Uh, the covet is used by Jesus to uh, as the defrauding. And so Joe Hoffman's right. Uh, there is no thought crime in the Ten Commandments. There, there, there might be. Maybe, maybe if you include God's commands that people need to put Him first. Uh, God wants a relationship with people.
And when people turn away from God, God says, oh, they worship me with their lips, uh, but the, their hearts are far from me. And this is grieving God because he wants a personal relationship. But morality, morality is not based on our thoughts and our, our thought patterns. It's, it's based on our actions. One last point, uh, one last counterpoint against this idea that there's no thought crimes in the Bible. People might turn to Jesus's teachings, especially in Matthew 5 is, is the common one and say, Jesus taught that there are thought crimes, therefore there are thought crimes. And uh, they might turn to, here's a famous one. It's uh, Matthew 5, 28. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent already has committed adultery with her in his heart. And so, you know what is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is uh, doing what here? Where's where's the Old Testament equivalent? Where's this coming from? And in what context is he is he saying this command? And if there's no Old Testament equivalent, you know, is, is this is this new? Suddenly now there's there's thought crimes in the Bible. I think the most rational understanding of what's going on here is that Jesus has has an apocalyptic context to his ministry. His ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And to do that, all his listeners need to reform their lives fundamentally. So in his, uh, what these, these are called are the antitheses. And here's Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman's another secular scholar, another secular scholar weighing in on, on uh, the Bible in opposition to the, you know, the Richard Dawkins of the world and the internet parrots. Uh, Ehrman says this, an antithesis is a contrary statement. In the six antithesis recorded in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus states a Jewish law and then sets his interpretation of that law over and against it. I should emphasize that Matthew does not portray Jesus as contradicting the law. For example, he does not say, you have heard it said, you shall not commit murder, but I say to you that you should. Instead, even here in the antithesis, Jesus urges his followers to adhere to the law. Indeed, to do so even more rigorously than the religious leaders of Israel. The contrasts of the antithesis then are between the way the law is commonly interpreted and the way Jesus interprets it. In all these antitheses, he goes to the heart of the law in the question, to its root intention, as it were, and insists that his followers adhere to that rather than to the letter of law as strictly interpreted. So these are antitheses. Jesus is intensifying the law. And why would Jesus do that? Again, his apocalyptic ministry. Elsewhere, this is what Bart Ehrman writes in a different place. That's why for Jesus, the present life holds no real attractions. Life in the present age should be at best a matter of indifference. One shouldn't be concerned about trivial matters as what kind of clothes to wear, what kind of food to eat. As he says, seek first the kingdom of God and its right way of living and all these things will be added to you you know jesus is preaching actually material wealth he says give up all your material wealth now because you're going to get a lot more of it once the kingdom of god is ushered in yeah that's my editorializing now back to the quote what does its right way of living entail it entails loving god the one who brings the kingdom and the one's neighbor as oneself all shall be completely secondary in importance if thieves want to take your clothes let them if bullies want to force you to do their work for them, let them. If the government wants to take your money, let them. If thugs want to beat you, let them. If the enemies want to kill you, let them. None of these things matter. You should give away your shirt as well as your coat. You should go an extra mile. You should render unto Caesar things that are Caesar's. You should turn the other cheek. You should not fear for the one who could destroy your paltry body. The kingdom is coming, and the concerns of this life are trivial by comparison. 
So Jesus is preaching an eminent repentance or eminent reformation of our life in preparation for this coming kingdom. And, and to do such, uh, he intensifies the law. He's, he's preaching a stricter law than what the Old Testament commands because his goal is to reform Israel, heart and soul, to prepare them for the kingdom. And so that's the context of Jesus's ministry. So, you know, it, you might want to, you, you could, I guess, turn to Jesus and try to make a case that Jesus uh, is saying God's going to persecute thought crimes. Uh, I don't think so. I don't, there's no Old Testament precedence for persecuting these these thought crimes. They're like, oh, if you, if you want to, if you're mad at someone, then, then you, you're the same thing as murdering them. Uh, I don't think that's what's going on here. But anyways, I just wanted to highlight that uh, this, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins and his internet uh, trolls, they're the superior atheists that are oh so smart, and uh, set them against the biblical scholars, the Ermans and the Hoffmans of the world, who actually care about the Bible. They, they care about what the Bible says, the context of the Bible, and, uh, you know, how to interpret what's going on in these stories, in the time that these stories are happening. They're not looking for quick gotchas. They, they want honest conversation. And so, no, there's, there's no thought crimes in the Bible. All right. Thanks for listening.